we're in this series, as John said, called The Domino Effect, and we're looking at how a, a step of faith um, by an individual, a step of faith by the church as a whole, by a fellowship of believers, can have this domino effect. You remember when probably you were a child and you had set up dominoes and you knocked one over and it just knocked the rest of them over, and, and you would have this effect that um, it, it just continued on. And that's what we're looking for. That's what the kingdom of God is called to do is one life is impacted, another life is impacted, another life is impacted, and it ripples into eternity. And so that's what this is really about. And we've been looking at this through the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to continue there today, actually starting in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 16. You can go ahead and turn there, but I want to give you a little bit of background. If you've been here the last three weeks, you've heard this. This will be the fourth time now, but I want you to understand where we're at. So Israel is now a nation, and Israel was set up as a nation to be what's called a theocracy. And a theocracy, um, it is ruled by God. And the way that happened was God would speak to priests and prophets, and they would give the people um, the message from God. And so through these priests and through these prophets, God was the king of these people. And so um, Samuel, that's why it's called 1 Samuel, is the prophet, the priest at this time that God is using to lead his people. The problem is Samuel's getting older and his sons are not following in his footsteps. His sons are not um, following the Lord. His sons are not godly men. And so the nation of Israel sends their leaders and they say, listen, we want a king just like those other people around us. And so they really in this are basically saying, we don't want to be led the same way we've been being led. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. The thing about it is, though, that Israel was set apart to be different from the other nations. They were set apart as the one nation, the one group of people that was led by the one true God. And they were to be the people led by God who would bring forth the Messiah, Jesus, who would be the Savior of the world. And so when we look at this, in a way, this is a rejection of God as their king. And they're asking for a man to come and be the one who leads them so they can be like the others around them. Now, the first king that is chosen is a man named Saul. And Saul, um, as we're about to see, was anointed to be king. Saul never fulfilled the potential he had. He ended up ending his life by falling on his own sword. And so he never reached that potential. But today we're going to meet another man by the name of David. And David made a great impact on the kingdom and he had a domino effect um, throughout eternity. And so I want you to, uh, if you will, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to be starting at the very end there. 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. Start at the beginning, go to the right. Uh, it's a big book. Probably not going to miss it. If you do miss it, just do a U-turn, go back left, and you'll find it eventually. And so this is where we're about to read where Saul has been selected. The night before this, what we're reading takes place, Samuel had invited Saul to come and have dinner with him, and they talked a little bit, but he said, you know, tomorrow I, want, I have a message that I want to give you. So he says here in 927, as they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so, but you stay here for a while so that I may give you a message from God. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not God anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, listen, now listen to all these signs 
that God gives Saul to show him, to confirm to him, to give him confidence that he is the chosen king over Israel. He says, when you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And so he'd set out to find these donkeys that have been lost. So these men are going to confirm to him that they have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then, here's the second one, you'll go down from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread. This is pretty specific stuff. And another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gabeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they'll be prophesying. The spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed, listen, into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you. That is the actual verse right there that I was reading um, 15 years ago when the Lord put this church on my heart. He says, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and do what I tell you to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all, listen, all these signs were fulfilled that day. Now look down at verse 20 in chapter 10. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, he's about to make Saul king in the eyes of Israel. The tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. It was the way they kind of like almost rolling dice where they would pick people. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin by clan or clan by clan and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But listen to this. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies, which translated also as baggage. So he's hidden himself amongst the baggage. They ran and brought him out. And as they, he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Now let's jump over to 16. We're going to read a good little bit, but then we'll get this thing going. Chapter 16, this is where Saul has now been rejected because of his disobedience to God. And Samuel is going to go and ultimately anoint a man by the name of David who becomes King David, David that slayed Goliath, David that led so many great victories, um, King David that ultimately from his lineage came Jesus. 1 Samuel 16, 6. When they arrived, so Samuel's going to their house. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, this is one of David's brothers, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things, the, the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen those. He asked Jesse, are there, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and fine features or fine appearance and handsome in features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And listen, from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and Samuel went to Ramah. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's power. Thank you, God, for your love for us, your heart for us, God. I pray that that would become even more evident today, that it would move us, compel us by your great love to follow you. I thank you, God, that today your word is active, it's living, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. Lord, let it pierce deeply into our heart, into the inner man, into um, the deepest parts of our being and change us, Lord. Um, Divide, Lord, those things that are of you and not of you. God, draw us close to you. Right now, Lord, I pray that we would have a heart to draw near to you. Your word says if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us, Lord. So make yourself so present, so so obviously here, Lord, through the preaching of your word, Lord, through the teaching of your word, that as your word is proclaimed, that it wouldn't be my voice that is heard, but it would be your spirit who is felt and heard deeply within us, Lord. We thank you and we worship you for what you're going to do in the next few minutes. We just have so much, God, that we expect for you to do, that we look forward to seeing you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So um, I had my sons come to me a while back, and for probably about three years or a little more, I've been pretty, gosh, every time I look up and look through these glasses, it just makes me go cross-eyed. So, um, but my sons came up to me for about three years or so. I had been really disciplined with working out and stuff. And so, um, my sons would come up to me. They're like, dad, what, what, what are you doing? And they were like, we figure if it can help you get in any kind of shape, if we do it, what kind of shape would we be in? It's like, that's kind of a backhanded compliment, but anyway, so I told them, and, and, and then I, I was really disciplined with it. And then in September, there's this thing that came along called deer season. And what I did was I substituted my gym time for hunting time. And it didn't take long that that began to be um, revealed in my appearance. It began to be revealed in how I felt and everything. And I went back to the gym right after deer season started um, or got over. And as I'm going in there, I couldn't do hardly anything I could do before. I'd get winded doing the least things. And what I realized is that my condition had changed. My, my cardio wasn't very good. My, my uh, uh, stamina to, to be able to run or to be able to do anything wasn't what it was three and a half months earlier. And what I want to show you in that is how quickly our condition can change how quickly my heart changed. And I want you to see that in this, that how quickly our hearts, our spiritual hearts, our spiritual condition can change. It doesn't take long 
of taking our eyes off of God, of not pursuing, not being in relationship, not walking with him before our entire condition, our heart condition can completely change. And, and here's the thing, I, I prayed, I was literally up here till, well, I actually spent the night here, but I was up until 1.30 this morning praying and asking God, what, what do you want me to say? Some weeks it's just like Tuesday, I know, I know this is it, but I'm still wrestling to find this burden of what God wants me to say. And the one thing I can tell you that God challenged me with, and he challenged me with it this week, and, and I know this is what he wanted me to challenge you with this week. And it was this one question, how is the condition of your heart? How is the condition of your heart? And biblically speaking, the heart is that inner man. It's your mind, it's your will, it's your soul. It's that seed of emotions. It's that, that, that place that most things are driven from. How is the condition of your heart? The Bible tells us, it's Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the entire course of your life. This is how important this is. But a lot of us, most of us, are probably more concerned with our physical heart than we are with our spiritual heart. We, we don't think as much about our spiritual heart. What is the condition of my heart? I'll tell you this, the key to the domino effect in our lives and in the church, the key to this is not our talent, it's not our effort, it's not our intelligence. The key to the domino effect and seeing ripples into eternity that make a difference and seeing God do more in a church than we could ever think or imagine, the key to it is not any of those things. The key to it is the condition of our heart. That is the one thing that matters the most. And the first thing I really wanna tell you today is this, quit looking at outward appearances. Quit looking at outward appearances. Quit looking at your outward appearance. I'm not telling you like, just let yourself go. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is quit judging things by their outward appearance. Quit looking at the church from its outward appearance. Quit looking at what is spiritual and what is healthy from its outward appearance because outward appearances can be deceiving. You go back to 1 Samuel 10, 24, and he steps, he grabs Saul, they dig him out of the luggage and he stands in before the people and he's a head taller than everybody else. And he literally says, do you see the man that the Lord has chosen? And here's Saul and he looks like the part, right? He looks like he fits it perfectly. And they're like, long live the king. This guy's gonna lead us to victory. This guy's gonna do great things. And Saul had glimpses of moments, these, these glimpses where he did great things. The problem was though, he couldn't do it consistently because his heart was so far from the Lord. And so Saul comes to this place where he's got the outward appearance and Saul wasn't rejected by God because he was incapable. He was rejected because he wasn't able to be faithful. It wasn't because he didn't look the part. It was because he couldn't consistently follow the Lord. And here's the thing I'll tell you. For most of you, many of you, maybe not most of you nowadays, but for many of you grew up in church. And here's the thing is, for most of you and the churches you've gone to and the churches that I went to when I was younger, when we go visit a church here or there, 
It was about the outward appearance. It was about how you looked. People would put on their best suit and their best face and they would go and they would look the part and they would look like heaven on Sunday and live like hell the rest of the week, right? And this is one of the things that's hurt the church more than anything. We've looked at outward appearance. I would challenge you to not look at the outward appearance of anyone, but look at their heart. How do you look at their heart? You look at the fruit of their life. Is there fruit of the life? Is it, is it producing fruit for the kingdom? Because anyone can act temporarily like they are in relationship with God, like their heart is right, like they are following Jesus. Anybody can do that for an hour on Sunday. But to seek eternal fruit in someone's life, a good seed has to be sown into good soil. The seed being God's word, the soil being our heart. It has to be nurtured and watered over time. It has to, to bud, it has to produce fruit, and it takes time. It takes abiding in the vine, which John 15 tells us is Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight. It shows us that people are walking with God. And I wanna encourage you, listen to me. Listen to me, college students. Listen to me, adults. Break out of this mold. It doesn't, the outside is great. But let me tell you this. If you let God take care of the inside, the outside's gonna change. But we're so accustomed to trying to pick the bad fruit off of our life. We focus on sin instead of Jesus. Not realizing that Jesus is the one who moves in us. Not realizing it's only by grace that we can live the life that God calls us to live. And yet we spend so much time trying to pick off the bad fruit and trying to look right on the outside that we ignore the inside. And God knows this. The reason Jesus could eat with sinners, the reason Jesus wasn't bothered by, by being around sinners, the reason that didn't bother him is because he knew he was going to do what was necessary to take care of that sin. And he knew that if you would come to him in faith and you just come to him and trust in him and believe in him, he knew that the spirit of God would come into you and give you a new heart. And he knew if you would just abide in him and I would abide in him and we would cling to him and we would walk with him, that the spirit of God in us, that Jesus inside of us would produce out of us everything he wanted. It was never to be about trying to change your behavior. It was always about changing your heart. And we have really screwed that up as a church. Don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. And this is what the Bible really says. Put your eyes on Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let Jesus do what only he can do. Quit trying to do something you're incapable of. I say this all the time. But if you could fix you, you would have fixed you a long time ago. If I could fix me, I would have fixed me a long time ago. I promise if my wife could fix me, she'd have fixed me a long time ago. But the one who's able to do the hard work, the hard work is Jesus. There's so many people who at the end of the day, they will bust the gates of hell wide open because God never had their heart. And they lived their life looking the part. They were acquaintances with Jesus, but they never knew him and he never knew them. So quit looking at the outward appearance and realize that the key to this is our heart, the inner man, the abiding in Christ.
So here's something simple. Get your heart right. Turn to Jesus. On the day of my salvation, if there was a sin, I was pretty much doing it. Like, I'm pretty sure I still had alcohol on my breath when I went to the retreat that I got saved at. And on the day I got saved, this guy walks in, and he started his message, which was all about sin, and he's like, would dangle you over hell on a rotten stick. That's basically what he did. And he started his message, and he goes, I've dipped this whole room full of Copenhagen. I was like, oh, God, where are we going here? And he went on and he named every sin. He named every single thing I was doing. He was like just ripping me apart. And I'm sitting there and I'm getting mad. I'm getting mad. I'm getting mad. And I'm getting ready to just get up and walk out of the room. And right at that moment, I hear just in my head, I hear this voice that just says, why don't you shut up and listen to him? And it happened like this. It was in a moment. It was in an instant. It was just this fast. It was like in my mind, I realized all I've got to do is turn around. All I've got to do is turn around and I turn and Jesus was there. Like as hard and fast as I run from him, he was there in all of my sin. He was there in all of my sin. All he wanted to do was for me to turn around that he can embrace me, that he could have my heart, that he could change me. And he changed me that day. And I still haven't been perfect since, but I can tell you I'm not the same. Jesus wants your heart. Break out of this mold. Give, get your heart right. Turn to Christ. See, Saul wasn't rejected because he was incapable of leading or being king. He was rejected because he couldn't be faithful. Listen, David was an anointed king because he had a desire to be king or to be a hero. David was anointed king because he had a desire for God. He wasn't anointed king because he had it all together. He was anointed king because he trusted that God would hold it all together in his life. If you go on and read in 1 Samuel, the Spirit of God comes on David and never leaves. The Spirit of God leaves Saul and an evil spirit comes and begins to torment him. And so they make this decision. Some of his assistants tell Saul this. Let's find someone who can play the harp and, and play the lyre. And they'll, they'll come in and play and it'll make you feel better. Lo and behold, the person that they've seen doing this and the person that they had seen who um, was brave and a mighty warrior but could also play this music was, was David. And so they bring David in and David comes in and he begins to play the harp before Saul. And it says the evil spirit left him. And I was in a situation back this was in my early 30s. I was in a denomination and they were wanting me to go to a seminary within that denomination and jump through a bunch of hoops to become ordained in that denomination. And so I didn't have peace about it. This was like on a Thursday. I'm starting at the seminary on Monday. I come to this passage where David um, is there and he comes in and he plays the harp before Saul. And I'm sitting in a coffee shop reading this. And when I read that, when I read that David played the harp before Saul, the Lord spoke so clearly to me that he, and he said, I raised up a shepherd boy to minister to kings. I will raise you up. And I knew right then I wasn't going to seminary. I walked into the senior pastor's office. I looked him in the, in the eyes and I said, look, I'm not going. He said, why not? God told me so. Dropped a God card on him, right? It's like, God told me so. And I had perfect peace about it from then on. And I'm, here's what I will tell you. 
If you will yield your heart to God, God will raise you up. If he can raise up a shepherd boy to minister to kings and to ultimately become the king of his nation, then he will raise you up. But understand the way this happens. See, you've been given spiritual gifts, 100%. You've been given, things are inside of you that God wants to draw out of you to use for his kingdom. They are there. But understand this, you can take every single spiritual gift inventory in the world. And I'm gonna about say 99% certainty, it's not gonna make a difference. Because most of the time we take those things and we, we circle numbers or we fill in bubbles and you know, kind of make the whatever. And then you get to the end and you add up all those numbers and then the higher numbers tells you what you are. And you're like, oh, I've got a gift of prophecy. And you're like, oh, I've got the gift of administration. I've got the gift of mercy. I've got the gift of generosity. I've got this gift of, 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 of speaking in tongues. I've got this whatever. And here's the thing, for most people, you take those spiritual gift inventories and they never become anything. You go and read about prophecy, is this prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. What do I do now? Let me tell you the best way to find out what your spiritual gift is. The best way to see God raise you up to use what's inside of you and to draw out what's in you. The best way to do that is to engage in the body of Christ. Engage in the body of Christ. Because if you will do that, if you will just start somewhere, hey, hey, uh, I'll clean the toilets. Hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not too good to hold a door. You know what? You're not just holding a door, you're tearing down walls for people who probably are nervous about walking into a church. But we have people there, they're like, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm pretty gifted. I'm too, I, I feel like, you know, holding a door. Literally, I feel like holding the door is kind of, but I think I could preach. Not here, you won't. Have people drop cards off. Like, if you ever need a fill-in, I'll be glad. To. I don't know you. But when you have this heart for God, you just, you just kind of want to just get around God's people. It doesn't matter what it is. And it's amazing how God will begin to raise you up and you'll begin to see where this fits. And all of a sudden, if you're called to lead, all of a sudden you start finding yourself in leadership positions. If you're called to preach, all of a sudden somebody's asking you, hey, could you come teach this group? Could you come teach these kids? Could you come teach these students? And for some people, they, they never get to where God wants them to be because they go, look, look, I know I'm called to preach, but not to four-year-olds. If you're not willing to preach to four-year-olds, why would God want you to preach to 40-year-olds? But we have this inside, but if you really want to find out what your gift is, then engage. Be a part of the body. Let God reveal what it is he's called you to. And let faithfulness form and prepare your heart. See, this is the issue for Saul. He had these glimpses and flashes and moments and actions that looked so good, but he couldn't be faithful. His heart was not for the Lord. But God said he had found one who said he's a man after my heart. 
And see, David wasn't formed, he wasn't shaped, he wasn't molded when he was anointed king. David wasn't formed, he wasn't anointed because he was going to pick up stones and charge a giant named Goliath. He, he wasn't anointed because he was going to slay Goliath and sling a stone at him and then cut his head off and carry it back to the king. That's what the text says. I'm not making that up. David was formed through everyday faithfulness. My boys ask me, what's the key to, to, to exercise? What's the key to life? What's the key to, get, to, to being successful? Show up every day. Show up every day. What's the key to growing in our relationship with Jesus? Show up every day. I'm walking with him every day. David was formed through everyday faithfulness. He showed up every day. Some days your best and showing up is gonna look a lot less than maybe the day before. And some days the next day is gonna look a lot better than the day before. But this is what I would tell you. Every day that you wake up and there's breath in your lungs and your feet hit the floor, show up. Show up. Give God your best. Give God your heart. Lean into the Lord. That's all anyone, that's all he can expect. That's all he wants. Lean into me. Give me your heart. But how's the condition of your heart? And you've got to get to this place where you don't just believe like, yes, it's through faith and Jesus and, and through grace alone and, and, and in that faith in Christ that we're saved. But then sometimes we get stuck in this place that we believe, but we can't receive what God has given us. Think about all the signs that Saul was given that day. And it says they were all fulfilled that day before the oil could dry on Saul's head. All these signs were fulfilled. God was already showing his faithfulness, but Saul could never see it. Saul could never see it. Think about this. Think about it if you were Saul. How cool would it be to be anointed for a purpose? That'd be pretty cool. Anybody think that's cool? How cool would that be? How, how cool would it be to have the Spirit of God come powerfully upon you? How cool would it be to walk in the gifts of the Spirit that God has given you? How cool would it be to be made a new, a different person? How cool would it be that if you knew, if God had promised and if God had showed you that everything he puts in front of you, that everything you put your hand to, that he puts in front of you, that he will be with you. How cool would it be to know that? How cool would it be to be anointed for a purpose, to have the Spirit of God come powerfully upon you, to walk in the gifts of the Spirit, to be made a different person, to know that when God puts something in front of me that he's calling me to do, if I put my hand to it, he's with me. How cool would that be? Anybody think that's cool? Well, guess what? He has. If you are a believer in Jesus, all of that is true about you. All of that is true about you. You have been given the Holy Spirit for a purpose. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 says. You have been given gifts to walk in. You've been made a new person. That old person is gone. Now you're a new person. 
And God has promised. He said, listen, go, go into the world. Go to all nations and make disciples of all nations. He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I've taught you. And he tells them at the very end of it, he says, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. God is with you when you put your hand to the plow and you don't look back and you lean into God and you realize that Jesus is the answer for all these things you've been searching for. God begins to use you in a very unique way. When you realize that you can't go anywhere to get away from God and you can't escape his love and you can't escape his power and you realize there's no mountain too high, there's no valley too low, that you can escape his presence, then a confidence can come over over you that you can do the things that God's called you to do. And when you begin to step into his body and you begin to allow God to draw out of you what he's put into you, it will blow your mind at how God uses you to cause ripple effects into eternity. But you've got to receive, listen, you've got to receive what God has declared. If you cannot receive what God has declared, we're never going to do what God desires. You've got to receive it. So many of us live like, like if there's a cup, we live with our hand over the cup. And God's trying to pour it in and something, this whatever this is, it, it feels like this disqualification. It feels like, no, that, that couldn't be for me. But if it's not, then God's a liar, but God doesn't lie. The challenge today is to open our heart, to get our heart right, to, to move this, to, to realize that this is something we've placed here. This obstacle is something we've placed here. It's not something that God placed there. God has removed the obstacle. Now it's time for us to turn to God and receive what he wants us to have. And to walk in his purpose, his power, his spirit. Saul can never do it. Saul can never see it. Saul can never, he can never fathom what God had called him to. He can never fathom it. Even though God showed him, even though God told him, he can never see it. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, because I still struggle with this, is seeing you the way God sees you. We hear this all the time, right? Where People say like when you come to Christ that God no longer sees you as you are, but he sees you through the cross or he sees you through the blood of Jesus. He sees you as righteous because he sees you through Christ. And that's 100% true. But here's the other side of that. How do you see you? Can you see you through the blood? Can you see you through the cross? Can you see you through Christ? Can you see that you've been clothed in righteousness? Can you see that you've been endued with power? Can you see that the Spirit of God wants to be active and working in you? Can you see that if you yield it all to the Lord, that he's gonna use you in mighty ways? Can you see that if you engage in the body of Christ in some way and just get involved and allow God to raise you up, that he's gonna do mighty things through you and through the body of Christ that you belong to? How do you see you? See, too many of us are like Saul. We're stuck in the baggage, right? We're still stuck in our baggage. Everybody has it. The key to it is to allow God to remove the burdens. The key to it is to step out of the baggage, to step out of the stuff of life that keeps us from walking in what God wants us to walk in. The key is, as I said before, the condition of our heart. 
Am I willing to put my heart before him? And I'm telling you guys, I have wrestled with this all week. I have wrestled. God has wrestled with me with this. For most of the week, I felt like the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. And he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he, he saw him in his glory. And, and the way the text says it is it says that Isaiah claimed, I am ruined. But literally it means I feel like I'm being torn apart. And he saw the glory of God and he said, I feel like I'm being torn apart. My wife would ask me during the week at different times, she would say, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And I couldn't put it into words. I couldn't really describe it. But I knew that God was needing to do a work in my heart and it felt like I was being torn apart. I was back here during worship because somebody took my seat. And, and I'm kidding. I gave him my seat. I'm glad. But I'm back here during worship and I'm on my knees behind this curtain and I've got my head on a stool and I'm sitting there and it just feels like something needed to come out. And I felt like the Lord just wanted me to scream for something to break inside of me. And my heart for you today is that that something breaks. That if there's a shell around your heart, there's this hard shell around your heart that it begins to break even right now. And that God could give you a new heart and he would put his spirit in you and he would put his spirit and fill me again with his spirit and he would begin to move us to follow his decrees and he would give us a heart that loves him and desires him and is compelled by his love. He gives us eyes of faith to see Jesus, to see him, to fix our eyes on him and to run after him. To realize that the condition that our heart was in when we walked in the door this morning doesn't have to determine the condition of our heart that we leave with. So how is the condition of your heart? Is it wounded? Is it broken? The Lord, the Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Bible says that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. You know what that tells me? If you're wounded, if you're brokenhearted, you know what you need? You need to come to Jesus. You need to come into the, the, the people of God. Are you hopeless? Hebrews 6, 19 tells us that it's in Jesus that we find our hope and Jesus is an anchor for our soul and he anchors us in the presence of God. That he is our hope. You know what that tells me? I need to come to Jesus. Are you, if you've been rebellious and stubborn, God's been knocking on your heart. He's been knocking on the door of your heart. If you're like me, you need to get hit in the forehead with a two by four. Maybe today he's smacking you in the face. And you've just been in this rebellious and stubborn place? Well, listen to this. In Acts 2.37, Peter stands up and preaches a message. And he tells the people there, he says, you killed the Son of God. And the Bible says that after he had preached the gospel, that they, all of them were cut to the heart. And they said, what, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized. In other words, turn around and turn to the Lord. So today, if you've been in this rebellious and stubborn place, my prayer is that the declaration of the sovereignty and the grace and the power of Jesus would break your heart. It would cut you to the heart, to the inner man. 
Maybe today you feel lost. Well, you're in a good place because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Maybe today you're in this place where you just feel lukewarm. I would tell you, make a choice. Make a choice. Are you in or are you out? Are you in or are you out? Am I going to follow or am I not? If you're going to follow, then grab hold of somebody else that's going the same direction you're going. But let me tell you this. If you're in relationships and you're around people that aren't going where you're going, guess what? You're not going where you want to go. I can't get in a car with somebody going to Macon if I want to go to Savannah. So you need to find somebody that you can run with. Are you hungry and unsatisfied? Is there something that just feels like it's missing? Well, the Bible tells us this. Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. You know what that tells me? I need to come to Jesus. Are you unable to be satisfied? Is there like this insatiable craving? I don't know what it might be for, but you can't get enough. Is it drugs? Is it sex? Is it whatever? Money, fame, position, honor, acknowledgement, but there's this insatiable appetite that you have. Jesus promised that if we would come to him and we have this insatiable thirst for more, he said that if you'll come to me, I'll give you water and then you'll never thirst again. And he's meaning the Holy Spirit. He's meaning himself. Do you feel weak? And be reminded that you have been filled with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Are you tired? Then remember that Jesus said, listen, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Do you feel bound? Do you feel bound up in things you struggled with? In Isaiah 61 one, and then Jesus said it later that Jesus came to set captives free. It tells me I should come to Jesus. You feel like you're in darkness? Isaiah 61, one, again, it says that Jesus came to release the prisoners from darkness. Are you hurting? Isaiah 61, two says that Jesus came to comfort those who mourn. You know what all those things tell me? That if I'm in those places, I should come to Jesus. Are you in despair? Isaiah 61.3, this is about Jesus. Jesus came to give beauty for ashes and a garment of praise rather than a garment of despair. Let me explain this to you. In those days, in ancient days, when people were in a place of mourning or distress, they would put on sackcloth. I'm thinking more like burlap. You know what I'm talking about? Like those itchy bags and things. And they put this on and they'd go sit somewhere and they would literally throw ashes, throw dust on their head. They would throw, throw this dirt on their head. And it was a sign that they were mourning, that they were in distress. They would literally sit in sackcloth and ashes. And what he's saying in this is I'll come to you in your moment of distress. I'll come to you in your pain. I'll come to you in your hurt. I'll come to you in your circumstance. And if you'll allow me, I can take the ashes and I can turn them into a crown of joy. I can turn them into a crown of beauty where this thing was so ugly. All of a sudden now, because of the work that I do in your life, it becomes something beautiful. I take this ugly life that you think is so tarnished and so beyond repair. And yet when I touch it and I put my spirit in you, you become this trophy of grace that brings glory to God because your whole life has been changed. But it doesn't happen because you try to change an outward appearance. It happens because you give your heart to Jesus. You come to Jesus. 
And every day thereafter, you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus. And he fills you, and he fills you, and he fills you. And nobody's perfect at this. But I can tell you this. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, there's something in you that will not allow you to just keep going. Like you, you, you realize, I can't live without him. I can't live without him. You get saved, you give your life to Christ, and you realize, like, I can't. I, I, I don't know how to exist without him. You understood saying what David meant when he said, don't cast your spirit from me. How does it happen? We come to Jesus again and again and again and again. It's all about Jesus. It's not about anything else. It's not about anything other than Jesus. And when Jesus has our heart, he does the work. He works out our salvation. So my challenge to you is to ask you this again, where's, how's the condition of your heart? My question is, have you yielded your heart to Jesus? I'm not saying, have you worked on your outward appearance? Have you tried to make yourself a better person? Did you make a really good New Year's resolution? My question to you is, have you given your heart to Christ? Have you surrendered to him as Lord? Have you allowed him to take you from the spiritual death you've lived in to the spiritual life. If not, then Jesus said today's a day of salvation. And if the Lord's worked in your heart today and you say today is the day of salvation for me, then we wanna pray for you. And in just a minute, if that's you and you know that today is the day of salvation and that the Lord is working in your heart and you wanna say yes to Jesus and surrender your life to him and, and let, allow the Holy Spirit to come in and give you a new heart and you wanna engage in his body and you wanna make him known throughout the world, then this is what I would encourage you with. In just a minute, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. Here's what's gonna happen. Somebody's gonna come over and they're gonna politely ask if they can pray with you. They're gonna ask you to go back here into the back and they're gonna pray with you and help you take next steps. Not gonna ask you to sacrifice anything, not gonna kill anything, I promise. Not gonna put you in a toga and make you do some kind of crazy ceremony. They're just gonna pray with you. And so here's the thing today. If you would say today is the day of salvation for me, right? And today you say I'm coming to Jesus for the first time in my life, but I know I need Jesus like I need my next breath. And I just want you to put your hand in the air and some of our prayer people are gonna come and they're just gonna get you and pray with you. It's, it's nothing, nothing more than that. We want to pray with you. Today, you're coming to Jesus for the first time. Whose heart's beating 100 miles an hour? Somebody. Amen. Gary, would you pray with him? So, so here's the thing. This is what I know. I know this, I, I, not because I'm a I just know this. There's somebody in here right now. Your heart is beating 900 miles an hour because you know, right? You know. And you're like, I don't know if I can raise my hand. I don't know if I can do it or not. But right now, the Lord's calling you. So one more time, today you say yes to Jesus. We're going to push on this a little bit. Today's the day. Amen.
All right, well, listen, if you'd like to be prayed for, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. You can come forward. There will be people here that can pray for you. Otherwise, you'll have a good day. But, but every day of your life, every day you have breath, come to Jesus. Give Jesus your heart, right? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for salvation, that you still work through the power of your gospel. I thank you, Lord, for your love for us. God, I pray that we could love you even somewhere close to the way you love us, God. Thank you that it's perfect love that we cannot understand. Would you just continue to work amongst us, work in us, do what only you can do, Lord. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave here the same way we walked in, but that our hearts would be different and that they'd be formed, God, every day through the faithfulness of walking with you. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.